If you were on your deathbed and you had one very dark secret to reveal, would you do it? Would you save your last dying breath to reveal something that could change everyone's lives or would you take it to your grave? Hello, my fellow divers, and welcome back to another episode of Crime Dive, where we take a deep dive into crime. I'm your host, Lexi. Thank you so much for listening and watching. If you're new, welcome to the water. We're so happy to have you. If you're returning, welcome back to the water. We missed you, and thank you for coming back to take another deep dive into crime with us. Please check out our episode description. There you can find the links to my TikTok and Instagram, as well as a link to help us out over here at Crime Dive. You can also find my email in the episode description for any business inquiries. Please be sure to download, like, comment, share, subscribe, tell your friends. We post every single week, guys. We post audio and video and you will never run out of content to listen to or watch. Today, we are going to be talking about some of the most shocking deathbed confessions that have ever been heard. When I was researching for this case, I couldn't believe the things that people would reveal when they were about to pass away. And those things were so life-changing for the people that they were leaving behind. But with that, let's get right into the case. Mark Chopper Reed was an infamous gang member from Australia, and he committed plenty of crimes during his lifetime, including kidnapping, armed robbery, and arson. He spent most of his adult life in prison, but while he was there, he ended up contracting hepatitis C, which eventually turned into liver cancer and he found out that his cancer was in fact terminal. He ended up getting an interview with 60 Minutes Australia, where he decided to speak about his very long life filled with crime. But during the interview, he ended up revealing that he had actually killed 19 people in his entire life. He just revealed it on camera, very casually, and he showed almost no remorse for the fact that he had done this. So much so that he was actually acting out how he did it for the interviewer, as if he was boasting about it and bragging about it. But I guess because he knew his cancer was terminal, that nothing could really happen to him. And sure enough, 16 days later on October 9th, 2013, Mark Chopper Reed passed away at the age of 58. Now let's talk about Hannah Quick. This deathbed confession actually makes me pretty upset. On February 7th, 1980, a fire broke out in a Brooklyn townhome, and it ended up claiming the life of a 27-year-old woman named Elizabeth Kinsey, as well as the lives of all five of her children, whose ages ranged from nine months to nine years. So now six lives have been claimed by this, a young mother and all of her children. The landlord of the townhouse, Hannah Quick, said that right after the fire broke out, she saw three men leaving the townhouse, and their names were Raymond Mora, Amari Villayobos, and William Vasquez. She said they walked out of the house right after the fire occurred, as if they had said it and then quickly ran away. When police found out about this the following year in 1981, they were arrested and charged with arson and six counts of felony murder, and they were found guilty. Raymond Mora died in prison in 1989 after serving only eight years in prison. Amari and William actually ended up spending 30 years in prison before they were let out on parole in 2012. But two years after they were let out in 2014, Hannah Quick, the landlord who ended up IDing the three men that were put away for the arson murders, was on her deathbed when she revealed to her daughter that she lied to police, putting three innocent men in prison. Turns out, Hannah was actually known to be a pathological liar, and she was also abusing substances. So she wasn't really a very reliable witness, but she just lied and said these three men were there when they weren't. Police later found out that there was actually no evidence that arson had ever even occurred. 
So it turns out these three men were pretty much just convicted because of one very shaky witness and really no evidence to back it up. This was all police needed to finally exonerate all three men. Now it's unfortunate that Raymond Mora passed away before he could be exonerated, but at least his name is cleared for his legacy. Now let's talk about Frank Thorogood. If you don't know who that is, he was a man who was hired by one of the original members of the Rolling Stones, Brian Jones. But unfortunately on July 3rd, 1969, Brian was found dead in his swimming pool at the age of 27. Now he's said to be one of the first celebrities that joined the 27 Club. And if you don't know what the 27 Club is, which I might do a video on, it consists of a group of celebrities that passed away at the age of 27, very tragically and untimely. It's said to have some sort of conspiracy behind it, not sure, but I will definitely do a video on that if you guys want it. Brian's death was ruled an accidental drowning and the case was closed, but some believe that there was more to the story because Brian was actually known to be a pretty good swimmer. So this just didn't sit right with people who knew him. Now enter Frank Thorogood. Frank actually worked for Brian and he was doing renovations on his home in Sussex. Now he lived in an apartment above the garage with his girlfriend while he was working on these renovations. But according to him, he and Brian weren't getting along very well and Brian actually threatened to kick him and his girlfriend out and wouldn't pay him until he chose to leave. He was reportedly the last person to see Brian alive, but on his deathbed, he admitted to the Rolling Stones chauffeur, Tom Keylock, that he was the one who killed Brian. He said, quote, it was me that did Brian. I finally just snapped. He was very upset about the fact that Brian threatened not to pay him for all the work he had done and he just couldn't take it anymore. So he ended up drowning him in the pool. But Tom Keylock, the only witness to this statement, ended up recanting these claims a few years later. So we don't really know if it happened or not. Maybe he revealed it, but then he regretted it. So he just said it wasn't true or it never actually happened. But I don't know why he would say that if it didn't happen. That doesn't really make a whole lot of since. Brian's autopsy revealed that he had substances in his system, but they weren't enough to make him accidentally drown. Now, Brian being a rock and roller and it was the 60s, he had a severe substance abuse addiction. So he was able to take large amounts of substances and still be okay. And the amount that was found in his system wasn't nearly as much as he normally took. So stands to reason he probably wouldn't have accidentally drowned. And like I said earlier, Brian was known to be a pretty good swimmer. So this was hard for people who knew him to believe. This next case is one of the cases that shocks me to the core because I never understand how anybody can do this. On January 11th, 1967, in Dayton, Ohio, an 18 year old girl named Christine Kett was found dead on the floor of her home by her brother. Now their mother was out at the time. So when he came home and found her, he immediately ran to go to a neighbor and ask for help. But when the neighbor came back, they both looked at her and it was clear that Christine was gone. She had a severe wound on the right side of her head and there was a firearm laying next to her body, indicating that she may have taken her own life. When police arrived, they found out that the firearm actually belonged to Christine's brother. But he said, I have no idea how that got there. I was not involved at all. Somebody must have found it in my room. And he ended up being cleared of any involvement in his sister's death. By the time Christine's mother got home, she found that her daughter was deceased and she was absolutely hysterical. Could not believe that she came home to the scene. But some people argued that her mother was a little too hysterical. They felt like she was putting on a show and just acting the way a grieving mother is supposed to act. So they weren't really buying this performance that they felt like she was putting on, but they couldn't find any evidence tying her to her daughter's death. So the case went unsolved for years. 
It was clear that Christine may have not done this to herself, but they couldn't find who did. But on March 9th, 1884, 17 years after Christine passed away, her mother was actually on her deathbed when she revealed to her son that she was the one who killed Christine, her own daughter. She said that Christine was supposed to come home at 12 p.m. in order to start making the family lunch, but she didn't come home for about another hour or two. And her mother was so upset with her that she bludgeoned Christine in the head with an ax. She quickly panicked and did everything she could to cover up the fact that she had done this, like going to get her son's firearm, putting it next to Christine's body to make it look like she did it to herself. She told him not to tell police anything about what she confessed on her deathbed until he died, but he ended up telling police shortly after she died. I cannot believe that she killed her own daughter just because she was a few hours late coming home. That's just insane to me. This next story completely boils my blood because it's just another example of how inept police can be. On September 10th, 1994 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a gang fight broke out at a local nightclub between the Bloods and the Crips, two very infamous rival gangs. Now during this altercation, a shootout occurred which resulted in the death of a 19 year old woman named Karen Summers. She had a four month old baby at home who is now left without a mother. Police immediately began investigating, trying to figure out who was involved in this altercation and who could have possibly killed Karen. They found that she was shot with a Lorcan pistol and the suspect fled in a maroon Ford Taurus. So they decided to look around at the gang members and see who had access to these items or even owned these items. And they came across a man named Michael Lee Wilson. Now he was a member of the Bloods and they found that he actually owned a Lorcan pistol. He had access to a maroon Ford Taurus and he had actually been involved in an altercation a few days prior with the Crips where he was shot in the leg. So he had the most he had the weapon and he had the getaway vehicle but for some odd reason police did not see this as enough evidence to arrest him. In fact they ended up arresting two other 17 year old gang members named Malcolm Scott and DeMarco Carpenter. They didn't have any evidence tying them to Karen's murder other than the fact that eyewitnesses said they saw them there. But just because they were there doesn't mean they were necessarily involved especially if there's no other evidence suggesting that. But for whatever reason this was all police needed to arrest them and they ended up being convicted. Now the crazy part about this is both of the witness accounts actually contradicted each other and this was all police were going off of, yet they were still arrested and convicted of Karen's murder. They were both sentenced to life in prison plus 170 years and Michael Lee Wilson, he never faced any consequences for her death even though he had the most evidence tying him to it. But just one year later in February of 1995, he ended up being arrested again for the murder of a coworker, a store clerk that he worked with at a local convenience store. He ended up beating his coworker to death with a baseball bat. And he was found guilty of this crime and his sentence was death. He was set to be executed on January 9th, 2014. But just two days before he was set to be executed, while he was participating for the Oklahoma Innocence Project, he ended up confessing that he was in fact the person who murdered Karen Summers and that DeMarco and Malcolm had absolutely nothing to do with it. His last words before being injected and killed with the lethal poison were, I feel my whole body burning. It was revealed that DeMarco and Malcolm had absolutely nothing to do with Karen's murder. Now it's sad that the guy had to confess for police to realize this, 
even though there was no evidence tying them to it anyway. But that was all they needed to be freed from prison. Two years later in May of 2016, police ended up releasing DeMarco and Malcolm from prison after they served 20 years. Their convictions were overturned and they were officially exonerated. It's sad that they had to spend that much time in there anyway, especially when police didn't really have a good enough reason to have them in there in the first place. They were 17 years old and that took a huge chunk of their lives. But I guess because they went in young, they did end up getting out young, so they still have a lot of life left to live. This last story is absolutely insane. A woman named Geraldine Kelly lived in Ventura, California with her husband, John Kelly, and they owned the Victoria Motel and they were managing the property together as a married couple. But unfortunately in 1992, John ended up being killed. Geraldine had to break the news to their children that their father was killed in an accident with a truck where he was struck and killed instantly. Of course, their children were absolutely heartbroken that their father had passed away so unexpectedly and so tragically. But on November 12, 2004, while Geraldine was on her deathbed, she actually confessed to her kids that it was no car accident that killed John. She actually shot him in the head and stuffed his body in the freezer, where it stayed for 13 whole years. She even had the freezer shipped with her from California to Massachusetts when she moved. So she wanted to keep it close to her, I guess, and she never told anyone about this. According to Geraldine, she claimed that she killed John because he was just very abusive and she was sick and tired of dealing with it. Now, naturally her children were very shocked and very upset to hear that their mother had killed their father after lying about it for 13 years. So as soon as their mother passed away, they went straight to police, leading them to the freezer that their father's body was in. And they were able to officially close the case and find out what really happened to John Kelly. I hope you guys were interested in these deathbed confessions. Let me know if you want me to do more videos like this because there are so many crazy stories out there of people admitting very interesting things right before they die. But with that, we're gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode. We'll be back next week with another episode. Thank you so much for listening and watching and I hope to see you in the water soon.